This is Living Truth Podcast, where our purpose is to help you understand the Bible better, live its truth more completely, and experience your relationship with Jesus more deeply. I'm Tom Hine, and I'm your host and resource person in partnership with various guests who engage with us in dynamic conversation and stories from their own lives. Hi, everybody. It's good to be back with you again. We have been doing a series of podcasts on other religions, and for the next two, three, four times, we'll see how it rolls out, we are going to be talking about Roman Catholicism. And maybe you don't think of that as an other religion in the same way you might think of Hinduism or Islam. But what we want to basically show is and talk about is what does the Bible say about different uh, truths? And what does Roman Catholicism add to the Bible? Or what do they resource outside of the Bible? Why do they do that? Some things like that. So, Jake, good to have you here today. Yeah, always excited to come and learn. I always come into these thinking, oh, yeah, I know a fair bit about that. And then always end up learning so much. And I'm excited to kind of learn about Roman Catholicism. Um, I recently adopted from Columbia, and so it's been interesting. A lot of their beliefs are at least Catholic light, like diet Catholic beliefs. Um, and so it's been interesting talking through. So, yeah, so talking with like the adults or with the uh, kids? No, with my kids specifically. Okay. And, and so they were in different orphanages and whatnot. And yeah. so it's it filtered through the lens of kids who didn't necessarily go to church. Yeah, even uh, at a very young age. But definitely some ideas that were used to kind of shape behavior very much seem to come from a, a Catholic lens. And so it's been interesting to share them biblical values with yes. them. And yeah. It, it's it's close, but not always exactly right. the same. And of course, across Central America, South America, United States and many other countries around the world, Roman mm-hmm. Catholicism is a predominant part of both the religious culture mm-hmm. and the landscape of just how people view reality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In uh, Central America, especially, it's shaped language. Even how they speak is influenced by Catholic belief. Yeah, it's very for sure. So we're going to enter into this very respectfully, and both for those of you who are listening who come from a Protestant background, and those of you, if you're listening, come from a Roman Catholic background, we really want to be completely respectful and recognize that there are many, many great things that have happened through both Roman Catholics individually and through the Roman Catholic Church. Hospitals started, many kinds of things around the world where people have been respectfully uh, ministered to. We always think of Mother Teresa mm-hmm. and what she did in India. And so there there are many places around the world where the Roman Catholic organizations are doing great, very compassionate work. And we recognize that. And a lot of pro-life work as well. A lot of pro-life work for sure. So we're aware of that and honor that. We'll try to be very respectful and yet also talk about, as well as possible, what is taught in Roman Catholicism 
if I make a mistake or say things that aren't quite the way you might say it, please let me know. Love to dialogue on that. I'll try to, where I can, reflect Catholic resources that I've read and go from there. Because you can't. You can't explain the view of every Catholic, just what the Catholic Church as a whole teaches, right? Well, basically what the Catholic Church as a whole teaches in their documents, but even there, different yeah. groups within Catholicism have different viewpoints on things. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a huge, huge religious organization. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they have monasteries and convents and orders of priests, uh, Dominican and Ang uh, and uh, Jesuits mm -hmm. and Franciscans and a variety of different groups, and all those groups have a little bit different slant on yeah. things. Um, one word I'm going to ask you to define. Um, you talked about Catholicism and then Protestantism. Yes. Would you be willing to sure. explain that? So in the 1500s, there were people that were starting to do some investigation into what does the Bible teach in the original languages. The person that we would be most familiar with is Martin Luther in Germany, and he was a teacher. Actually, he was a Roman Catholic Augustinian monk, so he was of the Augustinian order. And... As he began to do some reading in the original languages, he found that some of the teaching that the Catholic Church did not necessarily align with what the Bible teaches. For example, the word gospel, the good news of the gospel was not necessarily being taught as a gift we receive, but something that we earn. And so that led to, and it wasn't something that he thought of, he would not have called himself a Protestant. In mm -hmm. fact, he thought of himself as a Roman Catholic throughout his life. Mm -hmm. But people who were, quote, quote, protesting what the Roman Catholic Church taught became Protestants, okay. kind of named Because the Catholic Church would have been very dominant at the time, and they were exactly that. that yeah. Sense. So that's how that word, that's where that word developed. Okay. Yeah. It's not necessarily a word that we think about in terms of a derivation, but right. that's where it began. And then as other people began to believe in a similar way that Martin Luther, and then there was a man by the name of John Calvin, mm -hmm. who was in Switzerland, who also developed Bible teaching that disseminated uh, around Europe and eventually... Yeah. to other places around the world. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So back to Roman Catholicism, I've done a little bit of reading. Uh, people that write a, from a sociological perspective on Roman Catholicism, just by way of introduction, uh, Jake, you and I have talked about the fact that what the Roman Catholic Church at large teaches might not be what an in individual Roman Catholic believes. And I would say, especially here in Iowa, that one writer that I found, he described some Catholics as what he called cafeteria Catholics. Okay. And what he means is, like, you go to a cafeteria, like if you go out to eat, and you pick and choose uh, okay. what sandwich you like, yeah. what meat, what vegetable, what dessert. And some Catholics are like that. They would go to Mass, 
They would uh, be a participant in some of the rituals of Catholicism, but they don't believe in everything. Like, mm -hmm. for example, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that you should not use contraception. Mm -hmm. Now, if all Roman Catholics were not using contraception, we would have some very large Roman Catholic <laughs> families. And, right, right. and there are some yeah. around. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have... Uh, friends who have very large Catholic families. And, and and by the way, I'll just say that I've had throughout my life many Catholic friends and really enjoy them and mm -hmm. um, just good friends and good people. And so, but anyway, going back to what we we're talking about, uh, so that'd be the, one of the kinds of things yeah, that... There's a small example of yeah. things that, yeah, yeah, that... It's great, but not exactly. For me. They say, "Well, yeah. it's just a bunch of old men." Mm -hmm. uh, that well, they probably don't put it that way, but well, some uh, of them probably, the, the, yeah, probably. So you have people that are cafeteria Catholics, and people are more or less committed to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. People would have questions about just males as priests, or why priests can't be married. That would mm -hmm. be another place where they've had different kinds of viewpoints. And so you have that. You have what uh, we would call nominal Catholics. Mm -hmm. So the word nominal means in name. Okay. And these are the people that say, if you start talking to them about spiritual things, you say, are you a Christian? Do you follow Jesus? And they might say, well, I'm a Catholic, but... Mm -hmm. And they don't necessarily participate in anything except... Yeah. Maybe they go to Easter services or Christmas services. Growing up in California, that's I experienced a lot. Like most of the Catholics I knew had not been to church in some of them years. Um, those who went more frequently go maybe twice a year at most. And so coming out to Iowa is a little surprised. Oh, there's Catholics that go to church. Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was very like everyone was Catholic, but no one went to church. Yeah, people adopt it as mm -hmm. a cultural identity. Very much so. Like people from Ireland mm -hmm. tend to see themselves oftentimes yeah. in that way. Central Americans, yeah, South Americans. A lot of Mexicans, for sure. It was very much a cultural thing. If you're Mexican, you're Catholic, whether you went or not. Yeah, and, and so yeah, to break, break through much... that kind of self-identity, I think in the conversations that we have is just to say, well, there's more to it than that. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, Roman Catholics who are nominal or cafeteria kinds of Roman Catholics, uh, one of the keys is to start reading the Bible mm -hmm. and just to encourage them to mm -hmm. do that. Now, we recognize that the official Roman Catholic Bible has more books in okay. it, books that were written after the end of the Old Testament, Malachi being the last book of the Old Testament, and between about 400 B.C. to about 200 B.C., there were additional so kinds of historical Old writings. So in New Testament? Yeah, exactly, okay. during that gap. So how many books are? Uh, I think it's seven um, okay. that are included in their Old Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, Maccabees is one of the first and second Maccabees, and... Bell and the Dragon, and there's a couple of others. I can't there's remember the names. Of... One or is... uh, no, I don't think that's okay. one of theirs. But Okay. I, yeah. I'm not super familiar, but I've heard a little bit about that. Yeah, and there are books that 
have some historical value, but this was one of the issues that came up in the 1500s. Those books were used for encouragement, devotional uses, but they had never been considered to be a part of the official Bible. But when the Protestants came on the scene, Martin Luther, John Mm -hmm. Calvin, others who began to follow the Bible, in about 1547, the Roman Catholics had a conference uh, called the Council of Trent. And at the Council of Trent, they adopted these additional books of the Bible, basically to say, hey, look what we got. Yeah. Uh, and and there was a lot of political hmm. kind of things yeah. that went on. Makes so sense. so it's odd. Um, so there are practicing Catholics, people that are very faithful to mm-hmm. go to Mass, go to confession, to participate in the different aspects of Roman Catholic liturgy. And then there are people that even go back to the point where they wish the Mass was in Latin, and people that believe that oftentimes are so radical that they go and join other groups that oh, okay. have the, the Mass in Latin, and they'll travel quite a ways to go and find a Mass in Latin. But Interesting. Yeah. Why, why do you think people would prefer to do that? Seems interesting to Tradition, again, and a belief that this is the language that makes the Mass beautiful and connects them with God, and mm. so... I mean, I won't deny there is a lot of beauty in Catholicism in the cathedrals and the... Oh, for sure. Churches, even in the, the liturgy is... The art? Yeah. I know an artist, well, I don't know him personally, but had a conversation about an artist who was the brother of somebody I was traveling with recently. And I think this artist was attracted to become Roman Catholic, partially just because mm-hmm. he felt like his art could thrive in the Roman Catholic Church yeah. in a way that he found harder to do mm-hmm. in other religious Christian groups. I could see that. Yeah, I could see that too. So today we're primarily going to talk about Mary. We're recording this around Christmas time and just seemed like a good place to start. Yeah. And you may or may not know that Mary has a little different aspect from a Roman Catholic view than it does from a Protestant view. The first thing that I'll say is that sometimes maybe we don't focus on Mary enough. We mm-hmm. kind of shy away from her. Or we let our wives do studies on her. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And Mary should be honored. Luke 1, uh, we read that the angel Gabriel was sent with a message to Mary to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, descendant of David. And the angel, it says, went to her said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary would be a way of translating the Hebrew word Miriam. And so there's relationship there. And so for 2,000 years, there's been questions about what is the place of Mary. Uh, By the 5th century, she was hailed as the mother of God. By the Middle Ages, she was called a perpetual virgin. Mm -hmm. And a co-redeemer alongside Jesus. Today, people, well, officially in Catholic doctrine, 
they wouldn't say that they would lift up prayers to her, mm-hmm. but engage her to pray for them, right? Along with other dead saints. Mm-hmm. Um, saint is a word that we find in the New Testament that's used to describe a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Ephesians is written to the saints in Ephesus. So it's merely a word for Christian. But in Roman Catholicism, it takes on a whole nother level. They think of saints as people that have done miracles and have been especially used by God and are now in heaven. That's okay. usually how they think of saints. Okay. And they engage saints. So to... it wouldn't quite be elevated to deity, but... No, I know sometimes, sometimes, yeah, like they call Mary um, the queen of heaven. Okay. There's a passage over in Re- Revelation chapter 12 that describes in very eschatological, symbolic language okay. the birth of Jesus, and there it describes the stars on Mary's head, the crown, mm-hmm. and they say, well... She's a queen. And that's just a little bit overboard, I think, for us. And then they would call upon other saints. For example, I was in a ministerial group one time with some other pastors, and the priest was there. I was telling everybody about how I'd lost my keys that day. And he said, well, you should call call upon Saint so-and-so. I think it was Saint Joseph, maybe, or maybe Saint Andrew. I can't remember. Uh, but he said, he'll help you find your keys. He's the saint of lost things. Okay. And these are things I've heard of before. Yeah. The saint of blank or the saint of this. Yeah. And so it's a very different way of viewing Mm -hmm. how we go to God. We would say, I'm going to ask Jesus to help me find my keys. Mm -hmm. And they would say, well, Jesus isn't nearly as accessible um, I was re- okay. Yeah, I was reading a little bit about why Roman Catholics would pray to or through Mary, engage Mary, and this person was writing, well, Jesus was a man, never married, Mary is more accessible, more, she understands me better, and... Hmm. I don't agree with that, but that's kind of the perspective that I think some people come from. Would there be kind of an idea of I'm less able to get to God for him to hear my prayers, and so it's easier? Yeah. Like, Mary might be more willing to hear me. Yeah, exactly. Like, Jesus is intimidating is kind of the idea. Interesting. Now, in eastern Iowa, where I'm from, many people who are Roman Catholic, will have statues of Mary in their mm-hmm. gardens. You don't see as many around here in central Iowa. Yeah, I'm again going to a lot of uh, Mexican restaurants, Latino grocery stores. When we walked in, and big old statue of Mary, and my youngest son was like, oh, Maria, he knew her. So, yeah, I've definitely seen those around. Yeah, for sure. Like I say, I don't know why so there aren't as many in central Iowa. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of maybe not quite as ardent of uh and passionate roman catholics yeah. here uh in e- some places in eastern iowa places like dubuque and other areas in eastern iowa there's quite a population of oh, people okay. who are from roman catholic backgrounds so i yeah. think that's a part of it that cultural aspect mm-hmm. is reinforced it is, it's just very interesting from a cultural aspect how different 
take a look and how much it factors into people's backgrounds. I mean, I know at New Hope we have quite a few people who come from um, Roman Catholic backgrounds, and a lot of it is tied to cultural identity as well, whether that's Irish or whatever it is. So it's just very It is. It's a make. huge issue in some yeah. families if a person goes to a different church, if they've come out of a Roman Catholic background or sometimes out of Lutheran background. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so there it's are almost like tensions. Giving up your own last name sometimes. Yeah. It feels a little bit yeah. like that. So I understand. I read about a pastor named Dave Reddick who said he once saw a painting in Mexico that depicted Jesus at the front gate of heaven turning people away, and Mary at the back gate letting them in. Mm. And mm. so some of that perspective is Mary's just a little bit uh, easier yeah. to access. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Problematic, but interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I was telling Kathleen about, uh, in Revelation 5, 8, it talks about how the saints in heaven are bringing the prayers of the saints. And a Roman Catholic interpretation of that is that these saints in heaven, therefore, are engaged in listening mm -hmm. to the prayers of mm -hmm. people on earth. And, I mean, that, that's kind of taking that passage, again, a symbolic passage, and taking it a step beyond what is said there. Apparently there there is some involvement in bringing prayers, but yeah. that doesn't mean that they listen to our prayers and then <clears throat> are like intermediaries or anything. Right. Yeah, because it's a, Jesus is our intermediary. Exactly. Intermediary. He exactly. For us. So a big part of uh, what it comes down to in Roman Catholicism is their source of authority okay. is different. They would say that their source of authority is both their Bible and tradition, what has been written down, what the Pope and the Council of Cardinals have come to and written down and distributed down through the centuries. So here is a response on a blog post that I was reading. To those of you who don't see where the scriptures teach anything resembling the Catholic view of Mary, that is the point where we begin to talk past each other. The issue is of authority. We Catholics certainly believe that the scriptures are the word of God written, but we also believe that Christ and the apostles taught more than what was put to page and passed that teaching on orally. Okay. Okay. That, that, that helped a lot put a lot of different things I've heard into place. I mean, so one, my, my understanding is one tenet of the Catholic faith is that Peter was kind of the original pope, and yeah, so it's been passed. We'll talk down. about some of yeah. that in uh, but, another uh, episode or two. But if you don't have that, then the basis for your oral tradition is harder to hold on to if it doesn't go back to the time of Jesus. If it goes back to, I don't know, whenever you would, yeah, like, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that. Yeah, and but also, so you were talking a lot in the beginning about adding to the Bible. And, exactly. I mean, it was more than, it's more than just those seven extra books. It's yeah. So, so if you tradition. have tradition as an authority, basically anything that is determined and said, you can say anything. Or if you've done it for long sense. enough, it's Exactly. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, so hmm. it's kind of a slippery slope. Yeah. Another uh, teaching that Roman Catholics have is that God preserved Mary from sin. And I was just talking with some people a little bit about how also the idea that Mary didn't have any other children, mm-hmm. that Jesus didn't have, actually have brothers and sisters she's biologically. Catholic belief is she's perpetually a virgin as well. Yeah, right? perpetually a virgin without sin. And the Bible doesn't say anything along those lines. <laughs> it says for all have sinned. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. including Mary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. Why, why is that important uh, to them? And this is where... If there's somebody who's a Roman Catholic theologian, they might correct me, but my understanding is the idea is that Mary needed to be without sin so that Jesus would be without sin. That the Holy Spirit implanting the seed within Mary's womb and that she also needed to be without sin for Jesus to be so. I mean, that's kind of a rough way Mm -hmm. of saying it. Right, right. I I don't get it, but... That's what is taught, as far as I can understand. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That, yeah, that does lift her to a higher place. It does, yeah. And this is what the is confusing. Only perfect human. I mean, because Jesus was human and God, so it almost seems more impressive than Jesus. Yeah. But I that again speaks to the accessibility of, it would make sense. She seems more accessible. She's fully human. Well, yeah, and it makes sense yeah. that... People would, uh, not deify isn't the right word, but elevate her would be a better way to say it. Yeah, absolutely. Understandable. Yeah. Interesting. So how do we respond to someone who says, oh, you should pray to this saint or you should pray to this person? How would, like, if you were in a meeting, maybe with just a smaller meeting with Yeah, I couldn't really throw out anything. (laughs) Probably wasn't appropriate to, right. In that context. But if I was a one-to-one, yeah. I would probably engage, go a little deeper on, well, why do you think that? Why do you think that we need to go to these saints? Uh, Hebrews tells us, come to Jesus. And we can come to Jesus with our prayers that he does understand. I know that might be hard to accept, but mm-hmm. he does he tells the Bible tells us that we can come to him as our mediator, as one who understands, as one who hears us, and so that would be the conversation mm-hmm. that I would and have. Is that, where's that at? Is that Hebrews? Hebrews chapter four. Okay. I think um, I'm looking for it, and of course I can't access it very quickly here. But um, yeah, here it is. Therefore. In Hebrews chapter 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. This is verse 15 in Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love that. Yeah, it's a great passage. And so it's saying, come, we have one who does understand, who does empathize with us. Come, come boldly, come. And he will extend 
grace. He has a throne of grace that he gives us mercy and grace to help us when we're in need. And so that's that's an appeal to all of us to come mm-hmm. and we can encourage others to come yeah. as well. And he is our priest. He's the one we have to go through. Amen. Not through any other yeah. people as well. Yeah. Yep. I love that with confidence. Yeah. So that's a little reflection on Mary. Let's pray and then we'll close this uh, time down. Lord, um, help us to be people who reflect and do honor Mary in her role in bearing the Messiah and yet to be um, rightly connected, Lord, with you and to rightly speak of your grace and your mercy and give us compassion and give us the ability to speak truth in grace to people that we uh, interact with, maybe family, friends, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.